Um, one of the things with social media is about consuming content rather than publishing content. And a lot of us spend a lot of time in that consumption phase rather than actually doing something with it. It's really about that mindset of how am I going to use it and setting that time aside with a plan of I'm I'm using this for promotion or for marketing. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. There's this idea that comes from the software industry. It's called agile development. The process is one of taking a basic idea, and rather than creating something full-blown and full-featured, you just create the simplest product that solves a particular problem, and you get it out to market. Then, as the feedback from your customers comes in, you use that to create new features or functions. It's a brilliant idea. And it's brilliant because you identify the most important thing and then create it. It's brilliant because it totally puts the kibosh on that overthinking the product thing or adding all kinds of features or functions that you think is a good idea, but your customer might not care about. It's a really smart way not only to develop software, but really to develop any kind of a business because you're dealing closely with the reality of how people actually use your product. And so what they give you feedback on is immediate and it's relevant. And it avoids that spleen overthinking thing that, you know, on a good day can help you avoid going down rabbit holes that don't need to be explored. And on the bad days, it just stifles your creativity to the point where you end up doing nothing. When using agile development these days in the business world, you are looking to create what is called the minimal viable product. And guess what? Starting an acupuncture practice is not unlike starting a business with a minimal viable product. We have what we need to get started, but we are far from seasoned and mature. This is not a flaw of us. Well, at least if you put in the effort to study hard. And it's not necessarily a flaw of the schools, at least if they prepared you well enough to get that learner's permit that we call a license. Anyone starting out in a business, unless you've purchased a franchise or inherited a family business, is starting out with an MVP or minimal viable product. It's not a bad thing. It gives you the opportunity to learn quickly, to be agile and capable of shifting your business or your services based on the realities of the marketplace and what your customers, clients, patients, you know, those people paying you are actually looking for. And this is really important for us as practitioners. We get direct feedback on how our MVP is working for someone. But here's the thing. While this all sounds good and learning through feedback and iteration is a reasonable way to build a business, a product, or learn medicine, what they don't tell you is that it feels like failure. And that feedback that you get, it feels like the punch in the gut of criticism, sometimes strongly worded at that. There's a knack to using the Agile model of development, and part of the knack is not to take it personally. It's helpful to remind yourself that you asked for it, that you started off with a good idea, and trust that the people that you seek to serve will be generous with helping you get really good at what you're doing by telling you what they want. It helps to remember that in addition to not taking it personally, you're also fully responsible for what you create and how you respond. Remember those stories that your teachers probably told you when you were first in acupuncture school about how they were mistaken about a case, how their diagnosis and treatment 
It not only didn't help, but it made things worse. And how they were able to stay present and attentive to the new information that allowed them to better understand the situation. This kind of mental and emotional fortitude is necessary to learn medicine. And the exact same skill set is required to build a business or use the Agile model of development. Being responsible and not taking it personally, that might sound like a contradiction. But then Chinese medicine is full of things that on one level seem contradictory, but on another, they point to a unity of complementary influences. So take a hint from those Agile software developers. Get started. Listen. And recognize that your ideas of what people want or need will be endlessly whittled and shaped by the reality of what's true. Feedback is essential to the process. It's a gift that we receive from others. And it helps to lean on gratitude instead of frustration in those difficult moments. In a moment, we'll be getting into a conversation on what acupuncturists need to know about technology. If tech is something that's a bit of a challenge, then you'll enjoy this conversation coming up with Stacy Chapman, who used to do high tech before she got interested in the old tech of Chinese medicine. In this conversation, you're going to find out why paying for SEO services is usually a waste of money and how to get onto the first page of Google where it counts. That would be in your local community. But first, as I know y'all love going deeper into medicine, I've got a couple of learning opportunities that you might be interested in. First up is Josh Margulis. He has some skills and insights into using osteopathic sensing in an acupuncture practice. I'm going to let him tell you more about that. Hi, this is Josh Margolis, acupuncturist and osteopath. Ever wonder how the best body workers get their results? Why treating someone's right ankle might release their left shoulder? As acupuncturists, of course, we know everything is connected. But did you know that the fascial network speaks, and anyone can learn to listen? There are some simple and powerful ways to listen with your hands, and I'll be back later in the show to tell you about a clinical case that might be like one you've seen and how some simple osteopathic listening showed me where to treat. And for you fans of Dong acupuncture, I've got another clinical tip from ACCHS, a.k.a. Phil Settle School over in Oakland, California. Phil reminds us that we learn points by function or indication, but rarely do we get to the underlying logic of why points actually do what they do. And so he brings Henry McCann in to teach the Master Dong and classic acupuncture at his school. Henry offers this explanation of why lung seven is the command point for the nape and the neck. It's because the lung channel is tie-in, which in turn balances tie-yang. Additionally, it lies close to the wrist. Furthermore, if we take the forearm as a microsystem, it mirrors the neck. Additionally, it lies next to a bony protuberance, which, again it mirrors the external occipital protuberance. Whether you're studying dong points or regular acupuncture points, this kind of beautiful logic underlies the dynamic of what so many of the points do. Henry is teaching at ACCHS as part of the doctoral program in November, and this class is also available for continuing education. Check them out at www.acchs.edu. And for you listeners down under, Toby's doing a some acupuncture class in Sydney, Australia. It's September 21st through the 23rd. It's being organized by China Books in Sydney. You can visit their website to get more details. 
And, much to our surprise, due to popular demand, Geological will be bringing you one more opportunity this year to study Sa'am with Toby here in the United States. We'll be in Portland, Oregon on October 26th and 27th. You can join us in person or live stream it to your living room. Details are over at geological.com slash S-A-A-M dash class. And for you new practitioners, all y'all that have been practicing 18 months or less, we've got a couple of scholarship positions. If that sounds interesting to you, pop on over and get the details from the website. Thanks as ever to Lhasa OMS for their support of the podcast. Geological shows up in your podcast feed in part due to the longtime support from Lhasa. Lhasa knows that engaged and curious practitioners are the ones most likely to succeed and to be of service to their patients. And so in addition to their support for Geological, they also sponsor webinars and they help to support conferences that bring you both new and old ideas on how to better serve and treat your patients. Plus, they've got a wealth of information over on their blog. It goes without saying that Lhasa pretty much has any pin you might be looking for because they've been bringing quality supplies to acupuncturists for over 40 years now. Sign up for Lhasa's mailing list so you can get notices on their flash sales. They've got all kinds of specials on everything from CBD to electroacupuncture supplies, herbs, and of course, any acupuncture needle that you might want. By the way, speaking of herbs, they carry the new Springwind line of granulated herbs. Thanks, Andy, for bringing these quality herbs to market and making them available to us. Okay, folks, let's get into today's Techie Talk on tech. Stacey Chapman, welcome to Geological. Thanks, Michael. It's great to be here. I am so happy to have you here. And all y'all, you wonder why I'm so happy about it? Because, of course, we're going to talk Chinese medicine, but more and a funny near and dear to my heart, we're going to get to talk some tech today. We're talking tech. We're talking websites, we're talking social media, and we're talking Chinese medicine all in one. How often do you find a tech person who also knows Chinese medicine? I got one today. That's Stacy. So this is going to be super fun. Stacy, I am curious to know, first of all, I mean, I'm always curious to know how people found their way into Chinese medicine, but in particular, you, Chinese medicine and tech, how the heck did that happen? So I am from Australia originally and now live in London and have been here since 2001. And uh, I worked in IT and it was just that thing that right through from the start of high school and through university, I just got technology. It was just, it came natural to me. I came over to the UK to travel and to work for a couple of years, but that was many years ago now. Um, <laughs> I worked in the corporate environment in IT, which, you know, was fine, but through my own health issues, got to a point where I needed to look at what was going on with my health, what was happening, didn't want to go down the Western medical route, so looked at alternative or complementary therapies with nutrition and, and acupuncture, which really helped me and then brought home that decision that I needed to do something different with my life, that working in that environment wasn't right for me overall. So went and retrained as an acupuncturist. I know someone who has a very similar story. Mm. Yeah, that would be me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm curious to know what aspect of tech were you doing? Were you like a 
did you code computers? Were you working in project? I mean, when we say tech, often people think, oh yeah, some geeky person, you know, they can get in there with a keyboard and they can figure all kinds of stuff out. But there's a lot of other ways of working in the tech world, not doing that. What were you doing in that world? I originally started actually doing training. So when I very first graduated out of um, university, I was teaching. So that was back in the days when PCs were just coming into organizations. So I was teaching how to use a PC, Word and Excel, and a range of different things from there. And one of the software packages that we taught was um, an email system called Lotus Notes at the time. Oh my and God, you've been at this forever. I've been at this for that Lotus long. Notes? Yeah. Oh my God, okay. So then I moved out of the teaching. I needed to get some real world experience. So went off to do that. And then, um, so I was working in the email systems. So working in the corporate environment as an email administrator, which included a little bit of coding, but I wasn't a coder as such. And by the time I came over to the UK, a lot of my work was more along that project management and I had a global coordination role. So I was working with the different teams across the globe um, in Germany, the States and Asia Pacific and making sure everybody spoke nicely to each other so that we didn't have problems across the systems overall. So it sounds to me like there's this thread in the tech work you've done where you're working with technology, but more than that, you're having to communicate very clearly with people and, and help them through some kind of problem that they're facing. You're using tech to help them, but you're solving problems. Yeah. Yep. And I think that's one of the things that for me is what I really enjoy and where I now coming back to what I do now is I help other small businesses with their websites and their online presence. So alongside my acupuncture practice, I do that. So I like that combination of that helping people and the people side of technology, not the in a damp basement <laughs> coding without seeing other people all day. <laughs> no sunlight, please. No sunlight. Right. Yeah. yeah. Great. Okay, cool. So let's dive into some of this. I want to start with websites. Let's see. How long have you been doing acupuncture now? Nine years. Nine years. Nine years okay. in August. So when you got out of acupuncture school, you didn't give it a second thought. Of course, you were going to build a website to go with your clinic, right? I mean, it's it's like you'd have a business card, you would have a website, correct? Yep. Yeah. Okay. When I got out of acupuncture school, nobody was building websites. Very few people. It was kind of a, a weird thing way back then. But these days, it's super important. Nobody would even think of having a business without also having a website. Well, I mean, some people do, but I really think that having that website really gives you an extra level. So some people find it too much and they just try the social media thing and having their presence there. But I really think that a website's really important because it's your own place to be. We, you know, social media, we've got very little control over what changes they make. Whereas in the long term, having our own website gives us a little bit more control over how we want to present, who we want to see, and what, how we want people to find us. I would have imagined that people coming out of school these days would definitely want a website. It didn't even occur to me that they might want to build their digital presence on social media instead of having their own place. I didn't even consider that as a possibility until you just said it. 
I guess it just goes to show you how quickly ideas and things change, you know, with culture and technology. Yeah, and I think it's what becomes familiar for people and what they're using in their own lives. So if people are using social media to find things that they want to, you know, people that they're searching for or products or services that they're after, then that's what they might think that they need to do when they're setting up their own business. So it does come with, I guess, a little bit of age, a little bit of culture and where you are as to what's important to you. And that's where you kind of then take your business, don't you, or what you think that you need. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense that we build our business based on who we are, where we hang out, the kinds of people that we want to connect with. Yeah. That, that all makes sense. I think your point is well taken here as well, that with social media, that's all over the place. And in some ways, a lot of it is out of your hands. Whereas with your own website, I mean, you can own that dang thing. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that with the social media, like these things change all the time and they have a, in the background, they're really aiming to make money. So whatever they need to do, that's what they're going to do. And a lot of that's through the advertising and so on, which in the past you didn't need to advertise to get found on social now that you do. Whereas with your website, you've not got generally anyone else there making the decisions for you about what's important to you. So you've got a little bit more control over, over that. I think they work alongside each other. Mm-hmm. They can be complementary. I just want to check in with you. I want some definitions here because, you know, I, I feel like an old guy at this point. So when people say social media, I tend to think about Facebook. But, you know, when my young 14-year-old niece says social media, there's like all kinds of stuff out there that I've actually never even heard of. So when you say social media, what are we talking about here? Yeah, so that that's really true because it does depend on the age group of the people that you're that you're talking to. As you say, the younger generations are not on Facebook. That's now seen to have an older audience. Instagram is becoming bigger and bigger, but there are a range of other tools like this Snapchat and other things that are out there that the younger generation are using that actually we may have no idea about. So it can get overwhelming with that as well, because where do you where do you spend your time and what do you focus on? Exactly, especially because hopefully we're busy treating patients. We're just trying to do our work. The social media is a way to connect with people so we can get more patients. Again, I'm not a digital native, even though I've got a podcast. And, and it seems to me that social media takes a lot of time and attention. Are there ways to use it rather than having it use you when it comes to getting your, I'm going to call it marketing messages out there? Yeah, I think so. So one of the ways that I suggest is to focus on the website as your home base so that your your primary content is coming through from there. So that's like, you know, where you really want people to end up. You want to drive them to the website. And you're driving them to the website. Mm -hmm. So the benefit of that is, as we said before, that you've got control over it. And also that there's less distraction for you as well there. So if you're writing things on your website, you're only on your website. Um, One of the things with social media is about consuming content rather than publishing content. And a lot of us spend a lot of time in that consumption phase rather than actually doing something with it. So coming back to your question about how do you stop it from overtaking you is to, it's really about that mindset of how am I going to use it and setting that time aside with a plan of I'm, I'm using this 
for promotion or for marketing, I'm not using it for consumption. And and in that case, you can try and reduce the amount of time that it takes in your life, I guess. I really like this distinction that we're going in with the intention of using it for marketing. We are going in to use it. We are not going in to consume it. I mean, like like the best illegal drug dealers don't consume their products. <laughs> right? Right. They sell it. They don't they use sell it. it. Yeah. They don't use it. I can't believe I just used that metaphor, but I did. But it's kind of true, isn't it? Because it is. because the social media is built to be addictive. Yeah, yeah. And there's there's a lot of work and a lot of money that's gone into that of keeping us on that page. You know, scrolling through. You know, especially now with all the smartphones, it's really easy to do and to spend your time on there. I know for myself that that's what I can do, and I can and I have become really aware of how much time I spend. So I now put the uh, limits on my phone as to how many hours a day I could spend um, on my apps and those sorts of things, just just to bring that awareness in and to make sure that it's uh, not wasted time, that it's valuable for you. Yeah, we have to be kind of vigilant with our attention. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned something else that on the website, it's not as distracting for us as people, but it seems to me it's also not as distracting for the people that are hopefully interested in what we have to offer because once they're on the website, there's not a bunch of other pictures and things and people and ads that are calling their attention. It's just us and our messages. Yeah, absolutely. Like if you're looking at, yeah, something that is on social, then that's easy to move through to the next thing. Whereas if they're on your website, then hopefully the next thing that's going to attract them is something else that you've got on your website. So maybe some more interesting information um, or that call to action to, you know, get in touch with you. Mm -hmm. So two things about websites then. How do you get them there? And then how do you keep them there? Actually, three things. And then how do you get them to reach out and ask for an appointment? So getting them there, I guess we've got a couple of different things. It's um, in your offline marketing is one of the first places to go. So when you're talking to people, if you still have business cards or networking or just out at a party and talking to other people, being able to direct them to your website, that's, you know, one of the in-person things that takes away the technology that anybody can do. Another way of getting people to your website is through being found on Google. So what we know as SEO or search engine optimization, so which is a whole host of things, but essentially it's just making sure that things are set up in a way that we have the best chances of being found when people are searching for the information um, about acupuncture usually locally and usually or often about specific conditions, which gets a bit tricky in some places. And then the other way of getting people to your website is then coming back to social. And if people are on social and searching for things there, then pointing them back to your website as the that homepage, that landing page, your home. You just used the phrase searching on social. Again, I'm showing my... Uh fossilness, as my wife calls it, searching on social? How would you search on social for something that you're looking for? I, I, it, the idea hasn't even occurred to me until I just heard you say it. So there's a couple of ways there. So if we look at things like 
Well, let's start with Facebook as a, an example. I know that locally near me here, there's a lot of groups on Facebook for local people, local businesses, local mums. And so people will go into these groups and say, oh, do you have a recommendation for an acupuncturist in the local area? Or I've got sciatica, um, who would you recommend? So that's then using that social aspects and often in local groups, which is um, one area or people, some people will ask their friends. So if they're on social, that's how they communicate with people and asking for people there. And then as you branch out to some of the other social areas that they are in themselves a search engine. So outside of Google, things like YouTube, which is for your videos is a huge search engine so sometimes people are searching on there for oh another example there might be acupressure points for headaches so they might search on youtube for that because it's a more practical thing or gua sha or cupping or yeah yeah okay yeah and some of these other things that we've got there so it could be about speaking to other people so that social connection and then instead of where in the past we may have done that in real life and actually talked to our neighbor next door and said oh actually do you know anybody locally who does this often that's moved online and through the social platforms so would you recommend hanging out in these groups how do you get people to talk about you in these contexts is it by is it by you being there or are there other ways that you're that you're connecting how do you make that stuff work it's interesting because, again, this can be one of those things that can take quite a lot of time and different groups will have different rules around what you can and can't do. But one of the things to do is, I mean, I mean, I work out in the suburbs of London, so people aren't travelling across the city to get here. Um, and I think that's quite often the case for acupuncturists, that you're working with your local community. So what I would suggest is finding the things that are of interest to you outside of business and groups that might be local connecting into that. So what else is important for you and how do you then connect with the other people in there? So that by chance you might be answering questions about the local tennis club and then another question comes up about acupuncture so that you're already in there connecting with other people. They recognise you and know that you're around and hopefully then reach out to find out more from you. Well, if, if they already have a relationship with you, and they know you and, and there's some degree of trust built up, then what you'd have to say about acupuncture would carry more weight than a uh, ad in Google over on the side. Yeah, so it's about using those social platforms as a social thing. So what else is, but again, it's finding what else is already of interest to you. So you want to make it something that you're going to enjoy doing as well rather than, and not just popping in every day and posting, hey, book some acupuncture with me, but making and building those connections. Yeah. Without the connection, that that would look super bad, wouldn't it? Oh, there's there's that guy with his acupuncture billboard again. Yeah. 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 That's no that good. Same sort of thing. Right. So, and then the other thing for these local groups is your patients. So getting your patients on board because they will likely be in these local groups if they're on social media and getting them to go, well, if ever you see somebody asking about acupuncture, I'd love it if you could put in a word for me. And that comes back to some of the things that we need to do generally with our patients about education of not only what they're coming to see us for, but what else we can treat 
So, you know, building up that rapport with your existing clients so that they're out there spreading the word for you, which may be in person, but may also be on social. Yeah. Well, I've noticed too that there are a handful of patients that I've had over the years. And that small handful is probably responsible for more word of mouth referrals than all the others put together. Yeah. And it's interesting because often I also find, say, you'll have some people who just automatically refer you and others that will say, oh, is it okay if I pass your number on to so-and-so because they'd like some acupuncture? And it's really interesting because it's like, of course, please. But so it's coming back and, you know, that's reminded me when people have done that of making sure that they know, yes, please pass the details on. This is how I can help. Yeah, we would certainly just make that assumption. Oh, of course, you know, please do help me build my business. How could you not think of that? But you're right. People don't think about that. No. Yeah. No, and they're like, oh, I'm not sure if I should. Is that okay? Yeah. So it can be interesting. So yeah, as it's appropriate of, well, look, if you ever see something that, you know, is asking about acupuncture, oh, please feel free to share the details. You know, this is this is the sort of people um, that I can help and how I can help. Right. And our patients so, don't always know all the things that we can help with. They come in for what's going on with them and they they may not know that, yeah, in addition to that knee, we can help with someone's digestion. Yeah. Yeah. I want to get a little bit into the reach. You mentioned working with local groups, and that makes so much sense to me because an acupuncture business is a hyper-local business. And it seems to me that we want to be easily found locally, but actually if we could not be found in a larger way, unless we have a business where we're looking to, we've got an online aspect of it. But if we do not have an online aspect, being found in California when you live in Missouri is actually not helpful. No. <laughs> so how do you work on building that local clientele? How Can we use this technology to sort of screen in local people and screen out people from further away? So there's some tools that we can use that will more specifically get people to find us when we're local. So I guess what we can do is to emphasise that proximity. It's a little bit more difficult to exclude the others. I guess Google and the whole search engine algorithm is a bit of a mystery in itself. So there can be some random things that come out of play that we're never really sure or we never really aim to do. What I would suggest in that case is using the tools that we can to uh, target that local proximity and then once people are on the website, making it really clear where we are, you know, having your address at the bottom of every page as an example including those local areas in your text and that sort of thing so that people know where you are and that you're not far afield. Okay. What are some of these tools that help to dial in the proximity? So one of the things that you can do is set up a what's now called a Google My Business page, which is on Google. And this is if you're searching for a service locally, so searching, for example, acupuncture near me, which is what often people will search for. And on those search results, you'll see often at the top um, a map with a list of three or four businesses underneath that. 
And this is outside of your website. This is a separate setting on Google um, that you can set up your business there. And um, if you have the right configuration in terms of that include acupuncture in the title, include it in the description, make sure that your business details are correct and complete in there, then that can often help. And then on your website itself is having the address or the locations, as I said, often in the footer of your website, um, but also using text of the local areas or if there's suburbs close to you, postcodes that are near to you that people might be using to search for, including that information on there as well. Um, One of the examples that I often do is on a location page, have a map of where people are, but also have directions. If you're coming from outer this is how you would get to me. If you're coming from this suburb, this is how you'd get to me. So it's also got that extra information which is helpful for people but you're including those words in there for Google to pick up on the back end and and recognize that's where you are. That is brilliant. It is super helpful for the patients or if you're coming from name of close by community, right? Or if you're coming from name of other close by community, they're looking at it and going, oh, that nice acupuncturist, they're making this easy. And Google's looking at it and going, oh, well, yeah, you want to put this in, you want to put that in, put all these names in. That's what Google's looking at. Yeah. And what you want to do, what you may have seen in the past is like just a list of all different suburbs. Oh, I know. It's so spammy. That stuff doesn't work, does it? Which doesn't work anymore. So we don't want to just list out all of the different locations. But by doing something like that, where you've got directions from different locations it's still got the same information on there, but it's actually helpful. And what we really want to do in the long run is make this information helpful for the people that are landing on your website. Because coming back to one of your other things that you said earlier is how do we get people to stay It on our website is making that information relevant. So if you've got clear location, then they're going to see that it's relevant to them. And that's one of the things that's important is that relevancy without just a whole list of suburbs or locations spammed into the bottom of the page. Relevance is such an important thing. And I'd love to hear your idea of what you think is relevant to people that are looking for someone like us. Well, one of the biggest things that I think is really important is having your own picture on your own website. We are generally, a lot of acupuncturists are working by themselves or they're working in a small team. And what we want is people want to know who they're coming to. You know, they may not know it yet, but they're sharing a lot of personal information with us. It's a process that often people are unsure about when they're coming for acupuncture for the first time. So just by having your own picture on there, instead of stock photos of people having um, needles put into them, that helps people kind of go, oh, yeah, I think I could you know, I know where I'm going to be. Having a photo of your own treatment room on there instead of, you know, a spa photo can help as well. So that's that's some of the things that are, I think a lot of people don't do. So you're saying personalize it? Personalize it so that they know who. Yeah. And not just who you are, like who's your picture, who's this person? What's the sense of this person? So let me ask you, when you look at stock photography on a website, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? What's the first feeling that comes up for you? Stock photography. It's the same as everywhere else. (laughs) Like it's no different. I'm not standing out, you know. Not standing out. And boring. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. 
and you don't connect to it. Whereas if it's a more personal photo, then there's a little bit more connection, which is, again, what we want to do is to bring that connection that we've got with our patients in the treatment room. How can we bring that online? Ooh, How I can like we connect idea. to people? It doesn't have to be fancy, but just, a, you know, that picture of yourself. And the way that you talk on your website and, and the copy that's on there I think is really important too so that people understand what they're entering into. <laughs> talk to me more about the copy, the importance of that. Well, I think it's important, again, to talk to the people that you want to treat and the people that you're normally treating So, and put yourself into their shoes. So if they're looking for acupuncture, and it's the first time they've come across it or, you know, often they will have, someone will have told them acupuncture helped me for this particular thing and, oh, let me give that a try and they land on the website. They want to be able to understand who they're going to see and what that experience is going to be like. So, again, often we have that standard stock wording of yeah, acupuncture is the insertion of fine needles into particular points on blah, the body. Blah, 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 <laughs> blah, blah. And this is the explanation of chi. Um, and in some cases that's important, but I think more and more these days people have a, some idea about what acupuncture is, where there is more information out there. People have generally got that idea. Not everybody is interested in listening or hearing about the aspects of qi and, you know, the Chinese medicine theory. We want to be able to talk to them in a language that they understand. So an example of this is if this is the problem that you've got, this is how we work. You'll come in, we'll do a consultation. We're going to have a look at what's out of balance in your body or whatever words make sense to you. And then we work together to put in, together a treatment plan and step forward from there. Without that sense of the wording of chi and the organs and how we're flowing balance, often that puts people off. Not everybody, but sometimes people are just, oh, I don't understand. Um, you can always choose the people that you talk to again once, once they're there or have that information on the website for people but just not on the homepage, not on that place that they're landing and finding you. What are the three most important things to have on that landing page? Information about you, um, a little bit about the person and how you can understand them. So something that you can say about, you know, you might be in pain or you're looking for this particular thing. And then how do they find you? What's the next steps? How do we direct them to make that next step? And it might be through your, having your phone number available, your email address available, a booking system available, whatever that might be. What's that next step that they need to take? And often it's a good thing is to, you know, here's a free call. But everyone's happy to, again, that thing of, oh, is it okay if I call you? Yes, of course. We want to speak to people, or most of us want to speak to people before we get them in the door so that we can talk to them and, and uh, let them know a little bit more about how we can help. Yeah. That call to action, I think a lot of people have trouble with. We haven't even met people and we're making an ask. We want, we want them to do something. Ideally, call us and come in. Have you got some thoughts for us on making a call to action that's effective and doesn't feel slimy. I think we just need to make it easy for people to take that next step. And perhaps sometimes like we do want to have one call to action, but perhaps it's also giving a couple of options because some people are happy to pick up the phone and give you a call. Other people, and I'm finding more and more these days, would prefer to send you a text message 
or send you an email instead. So yes, we want to, it's a bit of a tricky one because it's that balance of, yes, we want them to do this, but we need to give them a choice because I'm, I mean, I see less phone calls coming through generally, but people will text and say, oh, I've seen your number online. Um, So it's about just making that checking and seeing what's available. What I would also do is to try these things out. And this is where it comes from our website being something that we have access to, to manage and change is we'll try, give me a call for two months and see what happens and then change that wording on a button or the the text that you've got on your page to send me an email for two months and see what happens and being able to see what impact that has for people. So it's difficult because I think it's then coming back to the people that you're seeing and what are they more likely to do. And as I said, for me personally, in the past, people were picking up the phone and calling. Now, less of that, they'll text me or I have an online booking system. So often people will book in either for a free call that I have through there um, or that first appointment sometimes as well. I have found that I can tell when my marketing is really working well. And that is when they're not picking up the phone, they're not sending me a text, they're just booking an appointment. Yeah. And that's that's when you've done the right things, that they land on that page, they, oh yeah, this is the sort of person I want to see. Yep, I'm confident. Yeah, they just book it right in. To take that next step. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And by having that more personalized aspect to your website, then they're more likely to do that as well. Mm, you know, I hadn't thought about that, but that that would make a lot of sense if if you're landing on one of those. I'm going to call it a corporate, just a corporate. It doesn't have any kind of personal feel. I can see why people would first want to call, get a sense of who is it that I'm going to be talking to. If you can give that to them before you've met them, if they can meet you before you've met them, I, I think that really helps open up some doors, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it does. Hmm. Mm-hmm. This brings me back to SEO. Mm-hmm. All right. A lot, I've heard a lot of people over time say, oh, yeah, I had my website SEO'd. I'm good to go now. Oh, how come I'm not showing up in Google? Yeah. And it can cost you a lot of money for someone to SEO your website <laughs> as well. And still be super ineffective, right? Yeah. And right. still be super ineffective. Yeah you know what, there's no simple answer for SEO. It's a combination of things that come up. And I think it's working through not being scared of it is one thing. And there's lots of little things that we can do for ourselves just as we're writing, thinking about these things that we've already talked about, about what information is on our websites. So it's not a one-off, I've had my website SEO'd. <laughs> I think you can have a um, like an audit or an evaluation to see what's right and what's wrong and there's some technical things that need to be set up properly that we want to check on. But a lot of the stuff and what Google's moving more towards is having more content that's relevant and informative and that people are interested in reading. And so that's an ongoing thing of keeping things up to date which can take some time and not everybody wants to do that. But, you know, and it is still possible to do it without that, but that's um, the things that we need to do. It's not a one-off. It's an ongoing process that we need to be considering. Mm -hmm. So it seems that there are some technical things that you have to pay attention to. Yeah. And you have to get those dialed in. 
and and that and and that's not really a process. That that is more of a uh, it's an event. It's not a process. Do this, do that. Set this up like this. Set that up like this. Blah blah blah. And then there's the ongoing part that you just talked about of creating the content, because it seems to me that while any fool can get on the first page of Google by buying some ads, that's only step one. Getting on the first page of Google means nothing. If they hit your website and they go, what the hell's that? I'm not looking for that. Yes. Total waste. So what I think I hear you saying is that you need to make it relevant on your website with the content. Yep. Yeah. So who are you talking to? What's, what's relevant to them? So again, that age group of people that you might be a seeing what language are they using this is where it gets tricky because often it's people looking for can you fix my tennis elbow as acupuncturists that's not what we're aiming to do we're looking you happen to have a pain in your elbow which is where we're it's coming up but people are searching for that solution so we want to answer that solution uh, one of the other tricky things is that in the UK we have advertising standards regulations which is preventing us from putting up what acupuncture can treat for a lot of conditions. So we also need to be careful about claims that we're making on our websites and in our advertising. So although that's still important, we also need to look at other ways around that. And I think that's coming back to sometimes that's where it makes it difficult because it is a little bit more, a little bit less specific with I help with your wellness and things in general rather than I can help fix your pain. Mm -hmm. We have similar sorts of languaging that we have to be careful with on um, supplements and herbs and things like that. But in terms of treatment, I don't think we're quite that restricted here in the United States. Yeah, look, it it comes into a whole other area of conversation about this and what the advertising standards do and where they fit in. And there's a certain list of things that have enough research that have been approved, but other things haven't. And it it, it does get tricky. It's still possible to do it. We just need to be a bit more clever around the way that we work with these things. So tell us about some cleverness to work around this stuff. What, What kinds of things are you finding to be helpful in dealing with this kind of a challenge? So it's about not making claims. So it's around the language that you're using, that you're not curing, that you're not essentially solving the problem, that we haven't got that. It's about how you can support people through different processes in their life, which might be pain or um, other symptoms. So keeping it a little bit more generic so that people will still read into that what they want to see. So if you've got the right wording around pain, you haven't said specifically, I will fix your tennis elbow, but they might land on that page and go, oh, yeah, well, that will help my elbow. Using research and references to research can be another way of presenting that information so that people might find that. Um, But it really comes back to then about you and your steps and how you work with people. So talking about how you work with people rather than a specific condition. And although it seems like, oh, once I've said that once, that's, you know, it's done and dusted. Actually, there's a number of ways if you think about different people that you see that you can kind of talk about that and how you work with different people. 
Hi, this is Josh Margolis again. So I recently saw a 30-year-old mother of a three-year-old with persistent right hip pain in the groin and buttock and pain just behind her left mandible radiating into her ear. The previous week, I had squeezed her in for an emergency acupuncture session for her back and right buttock, where I did straightforward electrical acupuncture on the painful areas. She got up off the table, much improved, but the next week she came in to her follow-up in basically the same shape as before I treated her. Sounds all too familiar, right? What to do? Instead of repeating the previous stopgap treatment, I assessed her osteopathically. While she was standing with her eyes closed, I placed my right hand on the crown of her head and pressed lightly towards the ground. I followed the tension patterns in her fascia and came to her left sternal attachments of pectoralis major. I treated those manually, but of course, I could have used acupuncture just as easily. And within a minute and a half, her hip was 70% better and her jaw 50% less painful. I didn't touch her hip or jaw. By relieving the tension pattern in her pec, her body fixed itself. Learn this and more osteopathic manual assessment and treatment techniques in my up-and-coming courses, the Lower Extremity, September 28th and 29th in Sonoma, California, and the Lumbar Spine and Pelvis, November 9th and 10th in Santa Fe, New Mexico, where we will also go into treating stubborn low back pain, plantar fasciitis, and knee injuries in trail runners and skiers. You'll be surprised at what your hands have to say. Check out joshmargolis.net and additional links in the notes section for this show. Now let's get back to today's podcast conversation. Medicine is always making claims. It's always making promises, either explicitly or implicitly. We're making promises that, that, that we're looking to help you. And I mean, it just seems to me, I think about claims. I mean, if someone came to me and said, can you fix my tennis elbow? The answer is always, I'm not sure, right? This is, this is a medical process. And, you know, we all know that medical processes don't have specific guarantees. You know, at the same time, people want to have a sense of confidence that they're probably going to get help. You were talking about articles to write, questions people have. I mean, this is a great one. I hear it all the time. I, I think all y'all out there in listener land or hear it all the time too. Can you fix my tennis elbow? I mean, we hear this all of the time. That would actually be a great thing to put on your website. Why? Because number one, people are Googling for that exact phrase. Can acupuncture fix my tennis elbow? If they put that in along with their zip code, you know, or, 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 or name of their city, guess whose website's going to pop up? Yours. With information about what the exact thing that they're looking for super relevant and it's a chance to talk about how we work yes and you know it's that education of people of how we work that it is different to some of the other systems of medicine we can communicate that with them through those things yeah and again it started uh, establishing some kind of sense of rapport if i've got something and i know that it, it's been troublesome for me and I'm looking for help with it, I'm probably going to be a little leery of the person who says, 100%, we got that handled. No problem. We got that handled. I'm thinking if it was that easy, I probably would have it handled myself. Right? So, you know, being able to exude confidence and at the same time recognize the uncertainty that we're all dealing with, that's a tricky road to walk down. 
It is. <laughs> it is. And it takes time. So one of the things that's helpful to think about is that this is not a one-off thing as we talked about, just, you know, my site's been SEO'd, but it's an ongoing thing. And and get the ideas from your existing patients of what are the questions that they're asking. Wait a minute. Hang on a second. I just, I just want to stop for just a second because this is brilliant and I hadn't thought about it. Where to get ideas about what to write about or talk about, listen to your patients. They're already saying, they're already thinking what other people are going to be saying and thinking to themselves and looking for you. Yep. And then once you've perhaps not on that first appointment, but once you've built up that rapport with your patients of, well, what made them choose you when they were searching? So if they've found you through the internet, if they've found you through other people, what research did they do? What was it that, oh yeah, I'm going to come and see Michael. And that can help you as well of thinking about how you present to the world online. And if that's where you want to be, are they, you know, is, oh, no, that's, oh, I didn't realise that was how you found me or, or oh, yeah, that's exactly how I want people to find me and to, to see me online. It can be helpful for that as well. Or if they've read a certain page on your website and they go, oh, yeah, well, I read what you had to say about blah, blah, blah. And if enough people say that, you'll know, oh, that's a super good page to have up there. Yep. Yeah. And often it's, um, I mean, I'll have people who come in and go, oh yeah, I saw that you used to work in IT and now you've switched over to doing acupuncture because that's clearly laid out on my about page on my website. So it's that little bit of information that people have. So they feel that they know you a little bit more. Not everybody will look at it, but there's enough people that come in and say, oh yeah, didn't you used to do this? I always look at the about page of somebody I want to go see. I never don't right? I don't care how highly recommended somebody was to me. I'm going to go look at their about page. And if they don't have one, I'm going to get nervous. That, I mean, that's just me. Yeah. But I think that's a lot of people because there's a, you know, there is a lot of information out there. They are trusting us with their health, with their personal information, with all those other things. So I think it's fair. We need to have that little bit of information about ourselves there and available so that they get to know you a little bit. That's evening up that ground from when people first walk in the door and you're about to ask them a whole lot of questions about themselves. And stick needles in them. Know a little bit more about you. And stick needles in them. <laughs> What information, what kind of stuff should go on an about page? And what kind of stuff would you not want on an about page for that matter? Uh, well, there's a couple of different ideas about this. And one of the things is you still want to be talking to the people that are landing on that page. It, it does need to be about you, but it also needs to be about them. So it's not all just about you. You still want to be speaking to them and about how you can be helping them. So I think it's good. Again, it depends on your business and how many people are in the business, if it's just yourself or you're working with others. I think using, you know, I do this in that first person rather than in the third person makes it more approachable. A little bit about your history. I think qualifications are really important in some level, um, particularly as there's various other therapists doing acupuncture as well. We kind of want to reinforce what we do as traditional acupuncturists and the training that we've had for acupuncture. Um, that can be important. And just uh, that snippet of information that's personal so that they feel like they're getting to know you without 
giving away too much information. Like it doesn't need to be all about us. We don't need our life story, but just enough so you feel, oh, yeah, I can connect with this person. They might understand me. So to say that I've worked in the city in London and worked in a busy job for X number of years and then was unwell, actually I then get a lot of my patients are working in the city and commuting back and forth every day. So it's just that connection that I have with them. If you're a sports player, talking about your sporting activities because that might be the patients that you're connecting so just that little bit of personal information um, that gives them there and sometimes what's helpful is to include that first person text a little bit about the people that you want to help a little bit about yourself um, your qualifications and then if you need to putting in a, a more official bio at the bottom Stacy studied this at this university and da 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 so that you've got it in that third person should you need that for any other purposes that can be another way of of having it a little bit more official there. I really love what you said just a moment ago, that the about page is not about you, it's for them. Yeah, The about page is for the person who's seeking you out. That is brilliant. And I never thought about it that way. But when you say it, I go, oh, all right. I need to go back and look at my about page and maybe tighten it up a bit with that idea in mind. I think that would be super helpful. Because it's not about me. It is about, about them. them. And they, they want to know enough about me so that they are going to feel comfortable. Exactly. As you said before, that you check every about page if you're going to visit someone. And that's about you. You want to know about that person. So what you're reading on there, you need to connect with. So it is you as the potential client that you need to think about. I did a, a thing on my website. Uh, I can't remember. It was, it was some years ago. Because I used to have it written in the third person, Michael Max, graduate, you know, blah, blah, blah. I remember reading it when he's just going, nobody cares about that. I did a little exercise for myself. I sat down and I gave myself permission to write about me, just like write who the hell Michael Max is, right? It's like, who's Mike? Who is this guy? Right. And I just like wrote it out, never planning to put it up on the website. Right. It's just, if I was being dead honest with people, who is this cat? What would that sound like? And I sat down and I wrote it and I let it sit for a few days and I looked at it a few days later and I used 80% of it. I, I just completely transformed it from that, you know, third person, you know, you get two sentences in and all you know is that you don't know anything and you're not going to find out anything that's really relevant. Who cares where they went to school? Who cares that you got six, you know, degrees, blah, blah, blah. They want to know who you are as a person. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's important. So it's that, it's that balance between that personal, that stuff about them, but still also those little bit of things to know that you're trustworthy with, you know, your, your professional accreditations and those sorts of sure. things are helpful. Of course you want to have well. those. But that's not what the text needs to include. <sighs> that can be logos and a little bullet list. There you go. That doesn't need to be your full list of this is what I've done, this is who I am. You know, I want to talk for a moment about websites some more. You know, we're talking about localized. You were just talking about on the about page, if if you're into sports, let people know about how you're into sports. If you have some kind of other expertise, let people know about that. A lot of people, I think, especially when we're beginning, we think we need to make the website approachable, and interesting to everybody. And I think that's a big, big mistake because when you try to be interesting to everybody, you do end up with that 
like corporate speak, where people get done reading a paragraph and go, what the hell did he just say? Right? It's just so boring. I think one of the beauties of our websites is that if we show up as who we are, the people that resonate with that are going to go, I'm sending this gal a text, right? Or I'm calling for an appointment. This person is me. I can talk to this person. Likewise, the people that are not going to be a good fit, guess what they're going to do? Yeah, they're not going to call. And that comes back to your uh, you know, question earlier about how do we stop someone in California finding you in Missouri? It's again, that same sort of thing. How do you find someone that's looking for something that you just have no interest in? Then you've exactly you're you're weeding out the people that are, are not a good fit for you as well and there'll be somebody else out there that works for them perfectly and i found over time when i've tried to work with people that were not really a good fit it usually doesn't work well they've wasted their time and money and we've wasted our time that we could have been helping somebody that that we were that we had a better fit with so i i love the idea of using my website not just to screen people in, but also to filter people out. You know, I want them to read my bio. And if they go, what is with this guy? I, <laughs> I really want them to go to the next uh, item yeah. on their list. And they'll go along to the next one. Right. And then they'll be like, oh, yeah, no, that suits me better anyway. That's fine. Because there is enough for everybody to go around. Absolutely. Even in a crowded market. I think there is. It, it might take a little more. It does take a little more time. But good golly, starting an acupuncture practice isn't supposed to be easy. <laughs> right? Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, whoever said it was? Well, yeah, I don't know. Easy has ever been the word for it, has it? <laughs> I, I would say anything worth doing is generally not easy in the beginning. No, no. I think the biggest thing is that it does take time and that we need to recognize that. But that's also a good thing in a way because it, it allows us to gain our own confidence and to build up our own skills. So, you know, when you first graduate from college, university, acupuncture school, yeah, we're, we're keen and ready to go, but actually we still have a lot to learn. And so that it does take time does help to allow us to build up the skills that we need as well. If we can grow at an organic rate in our sense of confidence and in our ability to help people so that, that we're not trying to work above our pay grade, so to speak, then, yeah, we can naturally evolve into a, a more accomplished practitioner. It does take time. It's, you know, it's like watching a fruit tree. Don't expect fruit from that thing in the first few years. That doesn't make sense. Do expect fruit from it after a few years, though. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. But it takes time. I've got just a few other questions for you, more on the technical side. Sure. I'm kind of a tech guy, but oh my God, there's so much tech out there these days. Even I can't keep up. Are there any technical resources that you'd recommend for acupuncturists that they might want to incorporate? I mean, we know we want a website and there's probably some kind of uh, you know social media presence that we want. You know, cho Choose one of the many. Are there any technical tools or processes that you would suggest to us that would be helpful in managing all this crazy, wild, interwoven digital world? 
so the, there's a lot of tools out there. So it's about what do we need? So some of the stuff that is helpful when we're looking at how is this working for us? So is is about measuring this effort that we're putting out as well. What's always helpful is to have some analytics set up on your website so that we can keep an idea of where people are coming from. There's a free tool from Google called Google Analytics and a, and a second tool that kind of interlinks with that called Google Search Console. And these involve like a small piece of code that's put in the back end of your website and it tracks information about people that are visiting your website. So what this helps us to do is to, you know, once we've updated that, perhaps you've gone in and you changed your about page so it reflects the customers that you want a little bit more, we can see how do we measure that? How do we find out if people are finding us? How do we know what people are finding us for? Are people coming locally? Are they all coming from the other side of the world, which is no help to us? And these tools are really helpful to be able to see that information. So it could give you an idea of the number of people that are coming, where they're coming from, what search terms they've used to find your website. That's um, super helpful. So I've got a really interesting example for my own website is um, I did a series of blog posts last year. I would love to say I do it all the time, but I come and go in, in phases and put some recipes up. So looking at my analytics now, one of my most popular pages is for a lemon garlic shot recipe. Uh, and I have people all over the world who found my website for this lemon garlic shot recipe. So it's, you know, I wouldn't have known that without having that analytics on there. So that has two things. So one is, yeah, I'm getting some traffic to my website, but actually looking at it, oh, it's actually not that helpful because they are coming from all over the world, not that local area that we've talked about before. They also tend to land on that page and then jump straight off and don't stay on the website. So I wouldn't have known any of this information without having that analytics information in the background to go, oh, that's what's going on. So yeah, that's on my list to kind of look at can I make it take advantage of it or do I need to actually take it off because it's not helping um, in a different way? Yeah, it's your big performer, so, but it's actually useless. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's so, super helpful to know. And knowing where they come from, I can see how that would be great because if you're putting your effort into, say, Instagram, but it turns out you're getting tons of people coming from Facebook or LinkedIn or you know whatever, well, gosh, now you know that's the place to focus more of your effort because you're already got some traction there. Yep. And then what often we can see in some cases, it doesn't always come up because Google does still hold some stuff back, but what search terms have people used to find you? So then it might be, oh, okay, so people are looking for tennis elbow. So we do write that article about tennis elbow da, 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 that we talked about earlier. So using that. Um, so those are free tools. So they're available. Um, they can be a little bit tricky to kind of make your way around, but they're getting a little bit easier to look at and to find the information that's in there. There are fancier ones that also come up that actually will record screen sessions that you can actually pop, again, a little bit of code in the background, and it will actually do a replay of what people have done on my website. Oh, my God. So that I is can, terrible. Yeah. That <laughs> well, is, what, is, so what's available for us is available out there for everywhere. So what you're saying is if we're going to major websites that have like money to burn, 
They're tracking everything we do on there. How long we're at anything. They're, they're watching every movement of the mouse. Yep. Yep. And to that extent that you can actually see with these tools. So people click on the homepage, then they go to the about page, then they go to the prices page, and then they they jump off or they go back to the about page and you can see how far down the page do they scroll. Like, so there's a lot, you know, these tools are also out there and available. And this is happening on websites all over the world. <laughs> right. Okay. So I don't know if I would ever want to put that on my website because I just don't want to be, I, I don't want to be that kind of a person, you know, with my patients. <laughs> and it's super helpful to hear you say it because now I'm reminded that when I'm on a big, well-funded website, that's probably happening. And and gosh, if those tools are available to someone as simple as an acupuncturist, then they're available, well, just to everybody. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Well, I used to think technology was evil, and now I'm starting to think it's evil again after hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a whole, yeah, there's uh -huh. a whole dealt of information with that yeah. as well yeah but again the good point is and, and i and i think this is uh useful for us as practitioners know what kind of information that we want to collect collect the information that we think will be helpful in guiding us in making decisions toward what kind of content do we write what pages are helpful what pages are not helpful and to make our website more sort of sticky and friendly and helpful to people so that hopefully it'll stick around on it and then, you know, eventually call us or even someone like us, but hopefully us. Yeah. 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 Okay. Any last things that you'd like to share with our listeners before we sign off for today? No, I think we've covered a lot. I hope that it's been helpful. Yeah. Great. Now, did I also hear you say earlier in the conversation that you help people with this stuff? Uh, yes, I do. So I, alongside my acupuncture practice, I have a, another small business doing, you know, a little bit of website design, um, helping with SEO, like I do like a little audit, so to see what's going on now, and then some training of helping you if you just want to have a look at things like those Google Analytics or those reports that are coming up and can't quite make sense of it, that we can pop on a call and have a look at what does that information actually mean and how can you actually use it. So that's one of the other things that I Great. help people do as well. All right. So you got the yin and yang of this thing working. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, Stacey, thanks so much for taking the time to uh, be here today. I know that this tech stuff is on lots of people's minds. Because for some of us, it's 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 a foreign territory. So I really appreciate you being able to talk about it today in such a down-to-earth way. Great. Thank you so much. I hope you found this conversation on tech to be helpful. By the way, Stacy does do some website and tech consulting in addition to working in her acupuncture clinic. So if you want to get some help with your tech kit, reach out to Stacy. She's offering 20% off to geological listeners on SEO evaluations. You can visit the show notes page for more information about that. I want to remind you that if you like the podcast, please be sure to share it with your friends. And if you'd like to help support the efforts here at Geological, please do consider becoming a member by joining up and becoming a Geologician. There's information over on the website at Geologician Community, and we've got some extras for those of you 
that help keep inspiration in the teacup here and support the show. Next week, a conversation on why modern pattern diagnosis is missing the point of Chinese medicine and some important differences between Chinese medicine of today and the E of past times. Tune in to that one next week. I look forward to seeing you then.